Let's read together now the first 16 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The text for the sermon, which we will not reread, consists of the last five verses, 12 through 16. Now, concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, Let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. But I speak this by permission and not of commandment, for I would that all men were even as I myself. But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, And if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? This is the inspired and infallible sacred scripture. As announced, the text is verses 12 through 16. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the Corinthian congregation, there were 
some issues, some problems, some questions regarding marriage. And so they were addressed to the Apostle Paul. And now he responds to those marriage questions so that we read in verse 1, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, and then what follows. And in what follows, leading up to the text, the Apostle explains the necessity and the goodness of sexual relations in marriage. He goes on to say something about the single state versus the married state, and he'll have more to say about that later. And then in the immediately preceding context, verses 10 and 11, he teaches the lifelong bond of marriage. And with the Lord, teaches that divorce is prohibited except for the one ground of fornication. But even then, there may be no remarriage as long as the spouse yet liveth, for marriage is for life. He'll come back to that again in verse 39. But to this point, leading up to the text, the apostle has not yet addressed what is arguably the most vexing issue for the Corinthians And that's the issue of mixed marriages. How are we supposed to view and treat a mixed marriage, which is a marriage between a believing man and an unbelieving wife? Or a believing wife and an unbelieving husband? Mixed marriages belong to a whole separate category of marriage questions so that the apostle has addressed one category and various people with their questions and another category and now the text begins but to the rest those who have questions regarding mixed marriages but to the rest speak I so the apostle addresses mixed marriages and this passage is his response to believers in Corinth who are crying out, Help! My spouse is an unbeliever. I don't know what to do. It's his response to the office bearers in Corinth who are crying out, Help! We have members of our congregation that are married to unbelievers. What kind of counsel do we give? It's his answer to friends and family members who are crying out, Help! Our loved one is married to an unbeliever. We don't know what to think and to do about this marriage. Apostle Paul, help us! And the Lord in heaven, who died for His church and who loves His church, heard all of these cries and would give to Corinth an answer. While our Lord was on this earth, He did not have occasion to. He did not seek occasion to. He did not sovereignly create an occasion to address explicitly mixed marriages. And therefore, when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will not find any explicit teaching of our Lord on mixed marriages. During His ministry, The Pharisees would come tempting him regarding divorce and remarriage, and so he would address the lifelong bond of marriage. And that's why when the Apostle addresses that teaching in verses 10 and 11, he states, verse 10, 
and unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. The Lord has already addressed this during His ministry. But now, when we come to the text and the issue of mixed marriages, the text begins with the words, but to the rest speak I, not the Lord. And all the Apostle means there is that in his ministry, the Lord did not address this subject. But, this is still the Word of the Lord. It's the Word of the Lord of the church in heaven who heard all of these cries and now through His Apostle Paul will give answer to the Corinthians. Will give answer regarding mixed marriages. This passage then addresses a reality that's very sorrowful and raises all kinds of hard questions. And God be thanked for the answers that are given. We thank Him as office bearers. We thank Him as family and friends. We thank Him as grieving believers in a mixed marriage for the unique and authoritative instruction of this passage of Scripture. There's help. Sadly, many of us have a connection somehow, in some way, somewhere to a mixed marriage. There's help here. There's good instruction for all of us, no matter who we are. Even instruction in marriage. And there's even a word, too, for the youth with a view to marriage. So let's consider the text, help for a mixed marriage, the vexing situation, the helpful answer, and the authoritative command. The vexing situation in the text, and for those in Corinth, was not what we today call dating. The issue had to do with marriage, not dating. The Apostle Paul was not getting letters Let's say a letter from a young man in Corinth crying, Help! A number of months ago, I was down in the marketplace in Corinth. I met a very gorgeous and fun young woman. We've been dating for several months now. She won't come to church. She won't confess the name of the Lord Jesus. I don't know what to do. The Apostle Paul would respond, Know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Why are you dating an unbeliever? Break up with her right now. That's not a vexing situation. That's simple. The vexing situation concerned marriage. That relationship about which the Apostle has just taught that it is lifelong. Out of Corinth, there were cries coming from believers, Help! I'm in a marriage, a lifelong bond to an unbeliever. Help. That's the issue. Verse 12, But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother, that's a believer in the church, if any brother hath a wife that believeth not. Verse 13, And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not. After the days of our Lord's ministry on this earth, when He was 
preaching and teaching in the borders of the house of Israel, where historically and generationally, for the most part, people knew the word of the Lord. The gospel was taken after Pentecost by the apostles out into the very dark Gentile world. And wherever the gospel went, for example, in Corinth, the gospel would often meet couples in their marriage. And they were both unbelievers. And by the sovereign electing grace of God, one of them would be converted and brought to salvation, and one of them would be left in unbelief. Now, there may be married couples who were married for a few months or a few years or for decades, and they never intended on having a mixed marriage. They were together unbelievers. But now the gospel comes and it cuts an antithetical line right through their marriage so that one believes and one doesn't believe and now they have a mixed marriage. The same thing can happen today on the mission field or even through the work of evangelism in the local church that there may be a married couple. They're both unbelievers. And the man hears of the gospel And he comes to church, and he's saved through the gospel. He is instructed in the church. He makes a confession of faith. He's now a full communicant member of the church. But all along, his wife refuses to come. She doesn't believe, and now they have a mixed marriage. Or it may happen that Very sadly, there are two believers who are brought up in the church. They're both raised in a God-fearing home. They're catechized in the church. They get married. Everyone is rejoicing and full of great joy. It appears to be a marriage in the Lord. But sometime after the wedding, maybe a couple months, maybe a couple years, it could even happen. It's happened before. Many years after the wedding, one of them manifests that he or she actually never had genuine faith and has been living hypocritically all of this time and one apostatizes, joins a cult, is lured away into some sect, joins a false church, walks away in a life of gross immorality, apostatizes in unbelief, stops going to church, says, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in the Bible, in the Christian faith. And to the shattering of the soul of the believer, the believer now finds him or herself in a mixed marriage. Or there may be a mixed dating relationship. Let's say there's a young woman in the church And she starts dating an unbelieving, ungodly young man. The pastor, the elders, the family, the friends, they admonish her and they warn her, but she won't listen. And she keeps dating him. And she gets married to him. And she leaves the church. And she walks in wickedness with him. And sometime later, God humbles her in the dust. He brings her back to the church. She confesses her sin. She's restored. She takes up her life in the church again. And she believes in the Lord Jesus, but now with great regret, she's she's married for life to this unbeliever and in a mixed marriage.
However the mixed marriage came to be, it represents a vexing situation. First of all, this is vexing with, res- with respect to the status of the marriage. Is this actually a valid marriage before God? <clears throat> and if it is, is not there grounds for divorce because no believer should ever be unequally yoked to an unbeliever? And yet, The Apostle teaches with the Lord there's only one ground for divorce and that's fornication. Help! Secondly, this is a vexing situation with respect to the relationship between the husband and the wife. The Bible is very clear on relationships and how friendship with God in the covenant demands antithetical separation spiritually, from all unbelievers. But now you have a husband and a wife who live together in the closest possible, most intimate relationship. It's the one flesh relationship of marriage, and yet they have the greatest separation between them because they don't agree on God. They don't agree on the Bible. They don't agree on the faith matters of faith and religion, and therefore they disagree on all kinds of practical matters of life. So that a believing woman in such a marriage says, what do I do? How can I be married to this man and live the antithesis at the same time? May we be husband and wife? May we live in the same house together? May we share the marriage bed together? May we spend time together? I'm not sure. In one ear I hear God saying, let not man put asunder. Cleave to your spouse. And then in the other ear I hear God saying of unbelievers, come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing. And Apostle Paul, my conscience won't allow me to go into the marketplace and to purchase and touch and eat meat that has been offered unto idols. I believe that defiles me. And now I have an unbelieving husband in my marriage, in my home. Am I permitted to live with him? May I even touch him with the holy touch of marriage? I don't know what to think or do. Help. Third, this is a vexing situation with respect to the children. If there are children, the demand of the covenant is that we rear our children in the fear of the Lord. That we give to them a good example and walk in the ways of Christ. And that to the utmost of our power, we protect our children from all the defiling influences of unbelievers. Can you imagine now a believing man in the home and his children spend hours every day with his unbelieving wife? And how vexing that would be to him. And would not the covenant demand separation? Separation from that unbelieving wife for the sake of the children. But Paul has just commanded no departure. Oh, what a vexing situation with respect to the children. 
Fourth, this is a vexing situation with respect to the congregation. The congregation in Corinth is the gathering of believers. And that gathering of believers may have no fellowship with, keep no company with, an unbeliever. One who takes his papers from the church and leaves the church and abandons the gospel to go live a wicked life. Or one who, and this was the historical situation, one who has been excommunicated from the church because of sin. The Apostle is very clear in chapter 5. Purge out that old leaven. Put that wicked man away from you and keep no company with him. But now, this unbelieving man, he's married to one of the sisters in our congregation He's the father of one of, of some of the children in our congregation. We may keep company with him. We may have him into our home and commune with him. But now, he's in her home. He's in their home with the wife and the children. May they dwell together in that home? Help. But for no one, number five, for no one. Is the situation so vexing as it is for the believing spouse? Can't you hear that poor soul and be sensitive to that poor soul who cries out, this affects everything. My whole life, I have many loved ones, many comforters. They think about me. They pray for me. But this isn't something that I think about on occasion. This is my whole life. Every moment of every day, it affects everything I say or don't say. Everything I do or don't do. Every decision I make. Everywhere I go. I'm married to an unbeliever. And my heart, my heart just aches for my unbelieving spouse. I want him to know Christ. I want her to have the comfort of the Gospel. And my heart aches for my children. I can see right through their eyes, into their soul, the confusion and the discouragement and the hurt as they live in a home with a mixed marriage. And my heart hurts within because my spouse keeps accusing me that I'm to blame. That my commitment to God and to His church and to the truth of the Holy Gospel is the cause of our friction and all of the tension we have in our marriage. Apostle Paul, help. But as hard as it all is with all of these circumstances, it would be so much better if I had some guidance. If I knew the way, the will, the path of the Lord. If I had just a little bit of light to shine upon this dark way. There's peace and there's joy in walking in the way of the Lord. What is the way of the Lord? I've been saved by God. I'm so thankful for that because I'm not any more worthy than my unbelieving spouse. I don't deserve to be saved. But I've been saved by the blood of the cross and the Spirit of Christ makes me sincerely willing and ready to deny myself, to take up my cross, and to follow the Lord Jesus. But what is the way? How am I supposed to view my marriage how do I think? How do I speak with respect to my own mixed marriage? Help.
the Lord in heaven who loves His church and is touched by the feeling of our infirmities heard the cries for help coming out of Corinth. And He gave a helpful answer to Corinth through the Apostle Paul. So that the answer of the Apostle is the answer of the Lord has two parts addressing two scenarios. The unbeliever remains. Secondly, the unbeliever leaves. First, if the unbelieving spouse is pleased to remain, then maintain the marriage. Maintain the relationship. Verse 12, But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she, the unbeliever, she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. That's the language of divorce. Do not divorce her. Verse 13, And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and if he, the unbelieving man, if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. Don't leave him. Don't divorce him. Don't separate from him. Don't walk away from him. Don't even withdraw from him in your heart. Emotionally. Maintain the marriage. Paul is teaching that this marriage between a believer and an unbeliever is a marriage. A valid marriage before God. And like all marriage, it's a marriage for life. And though the line of the antithesis runs right through that marriage spiritually, maintain it. Love your spouse. Love the Lord God. And do what you can to keep together your marriage. Now the Apostle describes the unbelievers remaining as being pleased to dwell with. Verse 12, If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him. And that's repeated again in verse 13. Dwell with. That's the language of the covenant. God and His people dwell together. The idea there of being pleased to dwell with is a conscious consent to the fact that this is a covenant home. And I will not try to change that. So that the unbeliever understands this is a God-fearing home that is built upon the rock of the Scriptures so that all of the language of this home and the behavior of this home and the education in this home and the entertainment in this home, the whole environment of this home is to be devoted to the glory of God. And the unbeliever being pleased to dwell in that home says, I will not mock you and the children for your faith. I will not blaspheme the name of God. 
I will not try to pull the children out of the Christian church. I will not try to pull them out of catechism. I will not try to remove them from the Christian school. I will not tempt you. I don't believe in your God, but I will put up with your Christianity. The Apostle says, if. If. She be pleased to dwell. If he be pleased to dwell. That's a big if. Because ordinarily, darkness so despises the light, and that which is ungodly cannot tolerate the sphere of godliness and a covenant home, but reacts against God and that which bears the name of God, that ordinarily the unbeliever will leave. Or, even worse, persecute and and try to drive out and drive away even his own flesh and blood. Her own flesh and blood. If, says the Apostle, if he be pleased to dwell with, if she be pleased to dwell with, then don't divorce. You don't have grounds for divorce whether he or she stays or whether he or she leaves unless there's fornication. You don't have grounds for divorce. Don't divorce. Don't separate. Don't walk away from. Don't withdraw. Maintain the marriage. Now what a helpful, perhaps startling, but helpful answer. The congregation may not keep company with him or her who lives in unbelief. They may not be friends with him or her. But the spouse and the children in the home may dwell with him or her. And the believer in a mixed marriage does not have to feel guilty. And no one in the congregation may make the believer in a mixed marriage feel guilty for maintaining the marriage, for living with an unbeliever, for enjoying the intimacy of marriage with an unbeliever, for spending time as a family with the children, going on a week of vacation with their unbelieving father or mother. Maintain the marriage, says the Apostle, If it be possible, if they are pleased to dwell, then love your spouse and the Lord your God and do what you can for the relationship. Maintain the marriage. Regarding the maintenance of the marriage, the Apostle gives a reason for encouragement, which is really also a ground for maintaining the marriage. 4, verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. This is a peculiar sanctification. This sanctification is not that saving work of the Holy Spirit that follows justification whereby the Holy Spirit goes into the heart and cleanses that heart and devotes the sinner unto God. 
There is no salvation here for the unbeliever. Obviously, the text does not say that he's sanctified by the Spirit. Furthermore, he's still an unbeliever. If he were actually savingly sanctified by the Spirit, he wouldn't be an unbeliever anymore, he'd be a believer. This is no salvation in and upon the heart of the unbeliever. About this peculiar sanctification, we read in the text very literally, for the the unbelieving husband is sanctified in the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified in the husband. So you have the image of a circle And then the unbeliever in the circle. And what this sanctification consists of is evident from the result of it. And the result is that else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. So the idea is in a mixed marriage, the unbeliever is sanctified in the believer so that the unbeliever with his defiling principle of corruption is contained by, is wrapped up in, is countered by the believer's principle of holiness so that principle of corruption cannot work through and contaminate and defile the home. He or she is sanctified in the believer. This is one of the extraordinary teachings of the Bible. This is one of the extraordinary revelations of the power of the cross and the triumph of our Lord Jesus Christ. An extraordinary revelation of the eternal love of the covenant God who makes His covenant with His elect people, His sons and daughters, and who savingly sanctifies them by the Holy Spirit and who preserves them in holiness so that even in the most intimate aspects of marriage, the believer will not be defiled. Even in the most intimate aspects of family life, the children will not be defiled by this unbelieving parent because he or she is sanctified in the believing spouse. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. This is astounding because ordinarily in a relationship between two friends, in a relationship between two churches, in a relationship between two denominations, the defiling principle of corruption will always triumph. It never happens that there's a godly principle and an ungodly principle, and the godly principle triumphs. The unbelieving, ungodly, sinful principle will always influence and will always contaminate in relationships. But here, in this covenant home, the cross shows its extraordinary power in a stunning way as the principle of holiness in the believer counters and triumphs over the principle of corruption in the unbeliever through a peculiar sanctification. What an encouragement that is then to maintain the marriage. The apostle would say to the believer, be faithful, teach your children. Now you have a spouse who doesn't believe in God. 
redouble your efforts by the power of the Spirit to teach your children, raise them in the fear of the Lord, be a good example unto them, open up the Scriptures before them, and you will have to teach them how to view their unbelieving parent and how to pray for him, pray for her, be diligent, but trust in the Lord your God and do not be anxious that the presence of your unbelieving spouse will defile your children, stunt their spiritual growth, and steer them away from God. This is a covenant home where God is the covenant God and where He continues His covenant in the line of generations through you as a believing parent and with your children, not all of your children necessarily head for head, but organically, according to the election of grace, God is the God of the covenant here in this home. And though your children are by nature unholy and unclean, God sanctifies them by the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ and makes them holy. Holy children. And then God preserves them in holiness in this covenant home by taking that unbelieving spouse and sanctifying him or her in the believer so that that principle of corruption does not break through and contaminate and defile. The power of the cross, the power of the covenant will triumph in this covenant home. Else were your children unclean. But now are they holy? So here's his first word. If the unbeliever is pleased to dwell with, don't put him away. Don't leave. Maintain the marriage. Secondly, let him go. This is what you do. If he rejects you, he insists on leaving you. Do not wage a war with him to try to keep him for the maintenance of the marriage. Let him go. Verse 15, But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. You are not under bondage in such cases. In the Christian and even in the Reformed tradition, this passage has been erroneously used to justify divorce and remarriage after wicked desertion. So that it's taught that if you have a mixed marriage, the unbeliever wickedly departs and leaves the believer may divorce and even remarry because they are no longer under bondage. The flaw with that view is that it does not use the term, the text does not use the term bound. It doesn't say you are no longer bound with it says you are no longer under bondage. And being under bondage and being bound together are two different things. Bound is the word of verse 39. 
The wife is bound, bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will. Bound to the spouse for life. And the only thing that can break that binding is death. Bound. Now we come to the text, verse 15. The apostle does not say a brother or sister is no longer bound in such cases. You are bound. You're bound for life. When your spouse leaves you, even if they divorce you, even if they go and get remarried, you're still bound for life. The apostle doesn't say bound. He says you are no longer not you are not under bondage in such cases, which means you are not enslaved to the maintenance of your marriage relationship. You must love your spouse. You're bound to your spouse. But you don't have to toil under the dictate, like an Israelite under Pharaoh, maintain your marriage. Do whatever you can to hold your marriage together. The Apostle Paul is teaching that if your spouse wickedly deserts you, you're not a slave to go chasing them all over the place, sparing no expense, fighting with him tooth and nail to try to keep that marriage together. You're not under bondage. Let him go. Let her go. But God hath called us to peace. God calls us to peace. First of all, peace with Him. If your spouse insists on living you and you try to pursue your spouse sparing no cost and doing whatever you can to keep that relationship together, including leaving God's church and forsaking the heritage of the truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ so that you can go follow your spouse, you won't have peace with God. Let Him go. And then resist the temptation of the devil who's going to come after you and say, you didn't do enough. You didn't work hard enough to keep that marriage. You made way too much of the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You should have went after your husband. Resist the devil. God says, let him go. God has called us to peace in Jesus Christ. And there's peace in knowing that all of our sins And failures have been covered in the blood of Christ. And there's peace in the way of letting Him go. And God has called us to peace with His people in the church. Notice that the believer in the text is called a brother. Verse 12, if any brother... And the believing woman is a sister. That's because the church is the family of God. And in the church, we say about a man who's in a mixed marriage, that's my brother. And we say about a woman who's in a mixed marriage, she's my sister. We're one family here. Now what happens if the spouse wickedly leaves and now the believer does everything he or she can to go running after that 
spouse forsakes the fellowship of the family and the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ, well, that's going to do damage to the family relationship and the peace with the family of God. And so God says, I've called you to peace. Let him go. And then the church must be at peace. Be at peace with the brother and sister. Do not make him feel isolated and stigmatized and guilty in the mixed marriage. Embrace him or her in the bonds of familial love. But God hath called us to peace. Moreover, God hath called us to peace with the unbelieving spouse. The word of the apostle is strive to maintain the marriage, but if the unbeliever insists on leaving, that's his sin. Let him go. You're not enslaved to the maintenance of that relationship so that you have to fight for it in an all-out war which will lead to quarreling, enmity, nasty words between you and your spouse, nasty texts, nasty emails, nasty phone calls, all kinds of bitter thoughts. Let him go. Let her go. She wants to leave. Let her go. God hath called us to peace. That's the two-part instruction regarding the two scenarios. And then the Apostle wraps up his instruction with an encouraging word that applies to either situation. Verse 16, For, and this applies to all the verses of the text, For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or what know, how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? What knowest thou? That's a word of hope. You're beginning to doubt. It's been months. It's been years. You've been praying for your spouse that God will turn his or her heart. It hasn't happened. You're beginning to conclude he's reprobate. He's destined for hell. She's reprobate. But you don't know. He might be elect, but not yet converted. She might be elect, but not yet converted. You don't know. You might save them. Now, we all know only God saves. That's the first lesson of the Christian faith when it comes to salvation. God saves. God alone saves. God takes all the benefits earned by the Lord Jesus Christ on His cross and He sovereignly applies them by the Holy Spirit to the elect sinner. God saves. But God may be pleased to use the conduct of a believer to have a positive impact upon the heart of an unbeliever in some way. And so the, the apostle speaks of saving thy spouse. The parallel passage is 1 Peter 3, verse 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. What knowest thou? So here's the word of hope to both situations. First of all, maintain the marriage. 
if he or she is pleased to dwell with you, and then your unconditional love and your abiding faithfulness and your tireless devotion and your humble prayers and your soft answer and your uncompromising commitment to Christ might be something the Lord uses to turn their heart. What knowest thou? And in the second scenario, if your unbelieving spouse insists on leaving, the apostle says, let him go. You're not going to save him by fighting. Fighting to keep him. But you might save him by your gentle and peaceful disposition and your unswerving allegiance to God and His church. What knowest thou? So the Apostle from the Lord Himself in heaven gives this helpful answer to those who are crying out regarding mixed marriages. And what the Apostle lays down here as instruction is an authoritative command. The main thrust of the text comes through the imperatives. Verse 12 climaxes with its conclusion. Let him not put her away. Imperative. The same in verse 13. It concludes, let her not leave him. And then verse 15, but if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. Command. So when Paul introduces the text by saying, by inspiration, but to the rest speak I, not the Lord, he is not diminishing in any way the authoritative character of this text as if he's just a man and giving his own personal advice that you can take or leave. This is the authoritative word of the Lord that comes through the Holy Apostle to the church to receive and to hear and to embrace. It's an authoritative command. And that's exactly what we want. Especially in a vexing situation. We don't want mere suggestions. I don't even want a concrete case where the Apostle lays out a concrete case in Corinth and how the Spirit led the believer in that concrete case from which we are to derive a rule, derive a principle. We want an explicitly stated authoritative binding command that gives definitive direction so that we all know exactly what is the precise will of the Lord in this vexing situation. And that's exactly what we have. An authoritative command as a light upon our pathway. But there's more. There's always more. Because behind this command is the cross. God never gives us commands without His grace in the Lord Jesus Christ in His covenant. 
the Lord Jesus. There is saving knowledge in the Lord Jesus Christ for the believing spouse and for the children of the covenant in that home so that they can know Christ. And in Him there is justification through His blood and peace with God. And in Him there is the power by the Holy Spirit to walk in a new and godly life. There's the knowledge of Christ and gratitude for Him. Knowledge that He endured hardness. As a husband in a relationship with a wicked treacherous wife called the church. He endured hardness. And He suffered the agonies and torments of the cross, the wrath, and the curse of God that the church deserves for her sins. And He cried out in His vexing situation. He cried out in the inky black darkness. And who heard His cries? Friend and lover were departed Dark and lonely was his way. Behold and see, is there any sorrow like unto his sorrow, abandoned by God himself? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He cried in the darkness, was abandoned, so that you and I will never be abandoned. Christ reconciled us unto God. And in Christ there is for the believing spouse and the children saving knowledge and peace and joy and then gratitude. And out of that gratitude, a firm resolution by the grace of God to hear this authoritative command regarding mixed marriages and to strive to walk in the way of this command. And in that way of obedience, we can have peace with all the difficult circumstances and be at peace with all the hardship and the trouble that God may bring into our life. So God be thanked for the knowledge of Christ and for this light upon our pathway. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, turn to praise all our cries for help, including these cries with regard to mixed marriages. Granted for Jesus' sake, amen. Let's respond.